International Affairs on the Viewpoint. Yes, it is international affairs and um, international allegiance in how countries pick sides what influences this particular decision. So South Africa, you know, South Africans have been questioning government's decisions and in some cases diplomacy where war-torn countries are concerned. So this evening we're trying to get a deeper understanding of how alliances are formed and how political uh, formations influence these alliances. Um, it's about, you know, common past, maybe, I don't know. What is it that you, you, you consider when you decide to create an alliance with another country? And as an example, let's say Russia and South Africa. And what could be the effects of then being in a partnership and yet maybe you are in a relationship with the United States of America and how do they feel about your relationship as South Africa and Russia? All those questions we shall unpack uh, on this platform. And is it about the economy, uh, the economic gains? Is it about human rights issues, being part of a certain body? And this conversation stems from the wars, insurgences that we've seen in the past couple of years and not the war in the Middle East. When wars break out and the world has to take a stand, what influences a government's decision when picking a side? Is it that clear cut? And joining us to unpack uh, is Asanda Nwasheng, uh, independent political analyst. Good to have you on SAFM, on The Viewpoint. Good evening and thank you for having me. So what, what really determines the relationship that countries or a country decides to have with another country? What are the the deciding factors for two countries to be in an alliance? So, I mean, the the, the alliance is determined by quite a number of things. So the first most important thing is historical ties. So countries that have historical ties are more likely to go into an alliance than countries that don't have historical ties. So if we know our history, we'll know that, for instance, um, there's a there's a very important relationship between uh, Europe and uh, and North America, particularly the U.S. and Canada, because those are, you know, the, the Europe and I mean, sorry, because United States and Canada are colonial entities developed from Europe. And then we know that, you know, Africa has very specific relationships with the French, which have led to Francophone Africa, and with the English, which have led to Anglophone Africa. And over and above that, there are relationships with Portugal and other countries that are based on, you know, the Berlin Conference and the scramble for Africa. And so when we understand history, then we're able to understand the historical ties that bind people and we're able to kind of have a better understanding of decisions that don't seem to make sense kind of at a, at a surface level of why these two entities would come together. And then you, of course, have historical ties like the ones that South Africa has with uh, with Russia, for instance, which comes from, you know, the history of of the of the Cold War, where Russia supported a lot of African countries, including our, our own, in terms of the liberation movement, and that's something that's kind of spilt over to 
the present and part of what we're seeing in terms of the conversations and engagements around um, the Ukraine. And if you think about, you know, BRICS as well and the conversations that are happening in BRICS, a lot of those ties, a lot of those relationships are not new relationships. There's been a global political alliance, a global South alliance of countries outside of Europe, America and Canada and, and the other kind of G7 states. Um, and so if you understand the history of various countries and continents, then you'll be able to track and understand who relates with who and why. And then the second part, you know, outside of history is also strategy, right? It's the strategy of the country. It's a foreign policy of the country. It is what vision a country has or has decided it, it wants for itself. And so when South Africa decided that it wanted to deepen its relationship with the global South, BRICS, you know, happened. When South Africa decided it wanted to deepen its relationship in the post-apartheid era with uh, with the rest of the continent, we suddenly had a, a, an AU that existed, but was much stronger in the era, for instance, of um, of President Tabumbeki and President Obasanjo from, from Nigeria, because there was a very specific intention to rethread the connections between African countries and to try and develop more regional integration and to try and develop more trade within Africa before, you know, markets, goods, people were moving out of the continent. And so it's all about um, strategy and the and the strategic vision that particular countries have and also that particular leaders have. And so you'll see, for instance, that the kind of foreign relations that South Africa had during a Tabumbeki era are going to be different to the kind of um, relationships that South Africa will have during a Zuma era, which are also going to be different to the kind of relations that are going to we're going to have during a Cyril Ramaphosa era, because each president um, decides the kind of strategic direction that he wants, decides what what he will and won't prioritize, and that has implications for foreign relations. And of course, that is also then kind of backed up or the foundation foundational basis is then kind of the history and the historical links. And there's always a kind of conversations that take place about, do we continue with the partners we've always historically had, or do we try and develop new relationships with new um, with new partners and new emerging superpowers? You all remember that South Africa, for example, is a, a global, a regional powerhouse on the African continent. We stand, you know, with our heads above, you know, high. And so our our kind of thinking about the continent always comes from that perspective that South Africa is a regional superpower. And even when we engage with the rest of the world, we engage not as South Africa, a small little country at the bottom, but we engage as South Africa, a regional superpower that has become and has always been in a lot of ways an entry for the bigger states into the rest of the continent, particularly when it comes to SADC, but also the rest of Africa. And also just want to open the line, which is our voice note line, if you'd like to um, uh, comment or maybe share your views. 0614104107. That's 0614104107. Or otherwise you can call us on 0860002032 because this is a very interesting subject matter where we find, you know, as South Africa, we, um, I mean, we are part of BRICS and there's no way we're going to break away from BRICS and we seem to be really building the relationship with other BRICS countries. We're talking Brazil, we're talking China, um, and we're talking Russia. Um, and and in, 
in the same breath, here we have Russia, which seems to be stepping on toes of other countries that we have a civil relationship with. For instance, the Brits and the Americans, and they feel that Russia has just done injustice by attacking Ukraine. And then we have our president, which is, uh, you know, our Cyril Ramaphosa, who is going to be leading Ukraine peace mission. And I'm sitting and I'm thinking, what does this mean for South Africa? Well, I mean, what it means is that South Africa has, um, because of our history of how we managed to come out of apartheid and how we managed to build a CODESA and a government of national unity and coalition and how we managed to just kind of, in a lot of ways, model, both in harmful and not harmful ways, um, we managed to model what reconciliation could look like, what truth could look like, what justice could look like, what restorative justice could look like. And um, and our attempts are recognized worldwide. And so, for instance, um, if you think about, you know, just the other day I attended an event where the, the Irish embassy was talking about South Africa's role in what's, you know, in, in, in negotiations post what was known as Good, as Good Friday, um, which was kind of a landmark peace deal that was done between the Brits and, um, and, and the Irish. And that came out of the fact that South Africa had been a, a British colony that had managed to decolonize itself or remove itself, at least, you know, in, in various ways from the British colonial relationship. And so when Ireland wanted to cut ties with, with, with England and, and, and try and establish a more equal or closer to equal relationship, they came to South Africa for those negotiations because we had shown with Cordesa that we had that capacity and that capability, but also we had shown that we have an understanding of complexity of conflict that a lot of countries don't have. It's also why Nelson Mandela was revered so much because he was the figurehead of South Africa's conflict resolution, conflict management, conflict transformation, um, capability and capacity, and just a way of thinking and a way of being around building peace. And so this gives us a very privileged position of being able to, in some ways, you know, take... Um, take sides and state who our allies are, but at the same time to also be able to participate and lead peace missions because this is what we do. This is almost like one of our our our, our unique selling factors. You'll remember that particularly um, you know, during the early 2000s, we played a, a big role in, in trying to end the conflict in the DRC. And there were various continental conflicts that, um, you know, although they were not completely quashed, but are not at the heated level that they were when South Africa first became, um, you know, a, a, a country to be reckoned with. And so we we have practice, we have the skills, we have the knowledge and the capacity of, of peace building. And so we shouldn't be surprised when our government leads peace missions, because this is what we do. When our government leads kind of conversations around how to engage conflict and how to deal with complex conflicts. And you'll see, you know, some of the quite impressive strategy around the idea of kind of being in those peace talks with um, the Ukrainian president and Ukrainian stakeholders. And then not long after that, going off to the Africa-Russia, um, you know, conversations and, and where you're able to then kind of close the loop and say, we've spoken to the Ukrainians, we've spoken to to the Russians, and this is what's happening. And you'll see the power, I think, of South Africa 
um, and its ability to do this in the fact that eventually, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin ended up not coming to South Africa in order to make sure that his presence didn't overshadow the big and important things that were happening at the level of um of of BRICS and the expanded membership and everything else that was happening that was no no small feat to continue to be able to hold our relationship with Russia close while also managing to i think convince him that perhaps it's not a good time at this point in time for you to be visible um let's rather do this BRICS thing. Let's rather give this BRICS thing the space and 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 you know the the kind of breathing space that it needs without it being clouded by your presence. And 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 I think sometimes as South Africans, we we are not as clued up or we don't quite understand how important our country is, how strategic our country is, and how. Um, you know, how nimble we are in terms of our engagement when it comes to foreign um, to foreign affairs, because people often have this thing where they almost think because, you know, our economy in some ways through Agoa depends on, on, on the U.S., our economy through the U.K., and the and the European um and the European Union trade deals um depends on these countries. The people think that we have to always accede to them. We have to always hear what they have to say and agree. But that's not how international relations work. The whole point of international relations is that states are sovereign and states have the right to self-determine. And and unfortunately, self-determination means sometimes fighting a person and arguing with a person to the to the nth degree about what you do and don't stand for. And so it always fascinates me, you know, as a student of international relations that people understand that in their own families, um, they will even argue amongst themselves until a family value is uh, or principle is upheld. But when it comes to our country, somehow if America says you must do this, we must just kind of all lie down and and say, okay, okay, boss, walk all over us or do whatever, which is not, that's not how you play uh, international relations. And I think, you know, I, I do a lot of work criticizing the ANC and our government, but when it comes to foreign relations, I really rate them because they have this ability to kind of navigate really choppy waters, really complex issues um, and come out winning in a, in a lot of ways. If mm. you think about even historically, we were able to enter the UN uh, Security Council at a time where other countries were not able to. And we were able to push for the expansion of the G7 into the G20, into the even more kind of expanded um, the more expanded G20 plus. And so we have a history of sometimes punching above our weight, which is a good thing. Sometimes, um, you know, even holding back because strategically it doesn't make sense for us to speak. And and that's also a good thing. And 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 that's the nature of international relations. It's about being, it's about being cunning in some ways, which people don't like. It's about being strategic, it's about being able to understand what is the ultimately the decision that's going to help you to get to where you need to get to and how do you make sure that your country is going to be prioritized and your country's priorities and principles, not another country's priorities and principles, 
are um are, are are going to be determined and i think you know sometimes people forget that america looks after america's own self-interest the uk looks after the uk's own self-interest and if south africa accedes to any of these countries even the rest of europe then they won't be looking after south africa's yeah. interest and so the role of south african government in particular foreign relations is to look after south african's government yeah. and that's why i was personally surprised when the da went all the way to um to congress in the us to argue for us to lose AGOA, especially considering that the biggest benefactors of AGOA is the agricultural sector in the Western Cape, which are the biggest funders and the biggest, um, you know, the people who hold the biggest relationships with the DA. So it didn't make sense. And so I wasn't surprised when they then had to walk it back and figure out a way, uh, a way to go and kind of beg and now have these witnesses talking about, um, you know, why South Africa still deserves to be in Akoa, I kind of thought, you know, you wouldn't have had to kind of have this expensive trip if you hadn't gone there to argue against us in Akoa in the first place. It was an own goal. Yeah, true. Well, Asanda, we have to live it at um, at this point. And hopefully in the near future, we can have uh, another conversation, maybe, you know, touch on the basis of what are uh, the effects of the markets, you know, impact on countries, access to resources and, uh, you know, the markets in general and also the impact on balance of power. But like, I think you've really just uh, nailed it when you say you, you just have to sometimes play it safe. You have to be the devil's advocate at the same time, you know, just make sure that all is balanced and all the scales are balanced. But thank you so much for joining us this evening on The Viewpoint. Asanda Mwasheng chatting to us this evening and uh, independent political analyst. Still to come, uh, we are talking to uh, UKZN congratulating newly appointed um, uh, DVC, teaching and learning professor Tabom Nisi. So, uh, Munisi holds a PhD in education from the University of Cambridge, UK, and a Master of Education from Teachers College, uh, Columbia University, uh, USA. And just last week, if I'm not mistaken, or a couple of days, we were celebrating teachers. And, you know, I'm such an advocate for education. I am such an advocate for education. And when it's all about understanding your, 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 and reading the environment, reading the political environment, reading your, your country, education plays a pivotal role. And we're going to be talking to uh, Professor Tabomnisi uh, from UKZN when we get back.